Welcome to Doing CX Right, a podcast where we discuss how to differentiate brands by doing customer experience right. I'm your host, Stacey Sherman, an author, award-winning keynote speaker, and mentor passionate to help you humanize business and improve experiences to achieve real results. Recruit is a powerful emotion that can be experienced when we feel that we have made a mistake or missed an opportunity. And it often brings feelings of guilt and remorse. Yet while regret can be unpleasant, it can also serve as a powerful motivator for change and improvement. My guest today, Daniel Pink, is the author of many New York Times bestselling books. And he explains the value of regret and how looking backwards moves us forward. We talk about proven techniques to effectively manage and channel regrets to show up for your work team and your customers in the best way possible. Please share this episode with others who can benefit. Subscribe to Doing CX Right Podcast on your favorite channels and leave me a review as it's truly a gift. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, Daniel Pink. Welcome to the Doing CX Right Show. Thank you, Stacey Sherman, for having me. Oh, I am so grateful. And this is a big presence. So thank you for being here. Of course. <laughs> so let's talk about you for a moment. And there's no way people don't know Daniel Pink. But just in case, who are you? What do you do professionally? What do I do professionally? I am a writer. I write books. That's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. I've written seven books on a range of topics, but mostly uh, books that try to help people see the world a little bit differently and um, that try to round up a bunch of evidence that might be hiding in plain sight that people can then enlist to live their lives a little better, maybe work a little smarter. Mm, I'd be better leaders too. Perhaps that could be a knock-on effect of all of this, yes. Because I think that, you know, when we're better people, when we're more effective ourselves, when we know what makes us tick, uh, helps us understand what makes other people tick, uh, when we know how to persuade and influence effectively and ethically, we're better leaders. When we know how to deploy our sense of timing, we can become better leaders. When we know how to uh, look backward in order to look forward, we can become better leaders. So, sure. Mm. What's your why? Why are you so passionate about these topics? You know, I'm, um, I'm really interested in, I have to say, like a lot of it is internally focused. So I'm interested in trying to make sense of the world, trying to figure stuff out. Because if I'm confused, chances are other people are confused. And if I can make sense of it and provide some clarity for myself and some ways to do things a little bit better, then that could help other people too. Hmm. And a fun fact, what's something people may not know about you personally or professionally? I have no fun facts. There's no, honestly, I am like the most, I, I, am, I am not an especially diverse or interesting person in <laughs> the least. Um, honestly. <laughs> well, I wish I had a fun you. fact. I wish <laughs> I had a fun fact. I got nothing for you. Well, something inspired you to write so many books. I mean, somebody in the world has touched you or moved you to made you do something. You think? All right, you come back to that. No regrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to be difficult. It's like, honestly, I don't really have a, 
I mean, I wish I could say it's like I am a, you know, a champion yodeler or I am, <laughs> you know, the the best master's pickleball player on the East Coast or something. I got nothing, man, nothing. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll figure it out. I'm pretty good at I'm interview. pretty good at I'm pretty good at sports trivia. How about that? Perfect. Yeah. Somebody wants to really get to know you and wow you. That's how they'll do it. <laughs> Could be, yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, if the, if so, someone has an, has a deep mastery of sports trivia, I'm not sure that would wow me. That might actually depress me because that person's life is as pathetic <laughs> as mine. <laughs> well, we'll go with that. Let's talk about your newest book. Let's focus on the power of regret and and how you said looking backwards moves us forward. So you've done a lot of research and introspection and lived a good life around this. So tell me, what does this emotion, how does it move us? How does it affect us, especially in the business world? Okay, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, you know, we have to understand as exactly as you say, Stacey, that this is an emotion. And we have emotions that make us feel better and emotions that make us feel worse. This is an emotion that makes us feel worse. That's its power. Mm -hmm. That's its danger as well. And, and that's one reason a lot of us try to avoid it. Um, we feel that tingle, that spear of that negative emotion, and we want to just bat it away, pretend it doesn't exist. And it turns out, based on 50 or 60 years of science and social psychology and developmental psychology and neuroscience and cognitive science, that that is a pretty poor strategy for leading a good life. Um, that that um, one of the things we have to reckon with, one of the things that science tells us very clearly is that everybody has regret. Regrets are ubiquitous. Regret is one of the most common emotions that human beings experience. And even though it's unpleasant, it's there for a reason. It's part of our cognitive machinery for a reason because we have other evidence showing that if we treat our regrets properly, and here begins the answer to the second part of your question, it has a lot of benefits if we treat regret properly. It can help us become better negotiators, something leaders do. It can help us become better problem solvers, something leaders do. It can help us avoid cognitive biases, something leaders try to do. It can help us become better strategists, something leaders try to do, if we treat it right. And the big problem we face is that we have not been treating it right. Um, some of us, as I mentioned a moment ago, ignore our regrets. We put our fingers in our ears and you know, make noises to blot them out. Bad idea. Uh, others of us wallow in our regrets, ruminate in our regrets, stew in our regrets, bathe in our regrets. That's an even worse idea. What we should be doing is confronting our regrets, acknowledging our regrets, using them as information, using them as a signal, using them as data. And when we do that, it has an array of benefits, both personally, but also professionally, especially for leaders. Mm. So. What inspired you of all the topics in the world to write about this? Because I am a human being who had regrets and I wanted to make sense of them. Um, now, I think that the timing is important here in that this is, you and I were talking before we went live about how, you know, I live in Washington, D.C. You had, you had lived in Washington, D.C., you know, several years ago. And this is not a book I would have written when I first moved to Washington, D.C. This is not a book I would have written 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Why? 
I didn't have enough mileage on me. But mm. I'm in my 50s. And suddenly, to my surprise, I had room to look back. And mm. even that conversation we had very, you know, be, before we went on about how, how long I've lived in Washington, D.C., I find it kind of astonishing because I feel like I'm 28 years old and I, I just moved here. And <laughs> so I can look backward and I can look backward and say, wow, there's mileage on me. And when I, when I look backward, I see things that I wish I had done. I see things I mm -hmm. wish I hadn't done. I see things I wish I had done differently. And some of those things make me feel worse. Now, that's because I'm a human being. Now, the question then becomes, what do I do with that? And once again, we have some evidence, some research, not some, decades, that tell us if we approach that correctly, it is a transformative emotion <laughs> uh, that, that, it, that it can clarify what we value and can instruct us on how to do better if we treat it right. Mm. So treating it right, what are some techniques that people should understand? It's really important. And it's, it's actually, we have, once again, we have evidence about this as well. The, the problem here is that no one has ever taught us how to do this. So the first step, in my view, is is how you frame your regret internally. A lot of times when we make mistakes, when we screw up, when we look backward and say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done that, or I should have done that differently, we're very harsh on ourselves. The way we talk to ourselves is cruel. Uh, we talk to ourselves in ways that are far more vicious than we would ever talk to anybody else. And here's what the evidence says. That doesn't work. There's no value in that. It really isn't. I mean, if it were a performance enhancer, if lacerating self if the evidence showed that lacerating self-criticism got us to perform better, I would say, go for it, guys. Try some lacerating self-criticism. But the evidence says it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything. It delays our taking action and makes us feel in a weird way sort of worse, but also better for being virtuous, for being tough on ourselves. But it has zero performance enhancement. What works better is this remarkable line of research catalyzed by Kristen Neff at the University of Texas called self-compassion. Self-compassion. Mm -hmm. What it means is that the first step in dealing with our regrets, our mistakes, our blunders, our screw-ups is to treat ourselves not better than anybody else, but not worse than anybody else either. Treat yourself with kindness rather than contempt recognize that your mistakes, your screw-ups, your regrets are part of the human condition. You're not that special. You're not the only one with these things. And recognize that anytime you look backward and see something that you wish you had done or hadn't done or done differently, it's a moment in your life, not the full measure of your life. So that's the first step in beginning to make sense of it. Now, there, there are, you know, that's, that's a necessary beginning. Um, there are other things subsequently that we can do to you know, make sense of it and draw a lesson from it. Mm-hmm. So in real application in business, whether someone has a small business or large business, what do you see is the value of deeply understanding this emotion to be able to provide a better experience for colleagues and the employees there who serve as customers? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that one of the things is, is basically what we need to do is we need to normalize regret. 
and what we need to do. And we need to normalize, like, let's say mistakes in customer service or mistakes in customer experience mm -hmm. or mistakes in employee experience. What we need to do is we need to, especially, but especially this emotion of regret, we need to normalize it. Instead of saying, oh, I regret doing this or I regret not doing that. And therefore, I feel a sense of shame. Therefore, I don't want to talk about it. What we want to do is say, well, wait a second, this is a totally normal emotion. How do I deal with this? I deal with it by treating myself with kindness rather than contempt, by talking about it or writing about it or acknowledging it. Uh, that disclosure is a form of unburdening and then also drawing an explicit lesson from it. So what does this mean? Simple things that a leader can do. And I've got this. This is not my idea. This is an idea I got from readers who responded, you know, multiple of them who are doing the exact same thing running businesses or running teams who said, hey, I read your book. I was skeptical. I was skeptical about regret as something that's useful. You convinced me so much so that in this last meeting I had, I told my team about a regret that I had, but I didn't stop there. I told them what I learned about from it and I told them what I'm going to do about it. And that ended up catalyzing one of the most you know, valuable conversations we've ever had. So that's one really important thing that leaders can do. Talk about a regret that you have, but again, don't do it in a self-flagellating way. Talk about a regret that you have, tell, tell folks what lesson you learned from it and tell them what you're going to do next in response. And that is, and what you've done there is that you've actually given yourself guidance, but perhaps even more important, you've offered yourself as a role model for processing this complicated and misunderstood mm -hmm. emotion. When it sounds like also the power of being vulnerable with sure. people. I mean, it's absolutely, it's absolutely tied to that. And that's a really good point because one of the things that we, you know, you know, a few years ago when, 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 when businesses started talking about vulnerability, you know, the initial view was like, what the hell are you talking about? It's like, I'm not doing that. And one of the fears was that if we exposed our vulnerability as leaders, people would think less of us. And now we have some pretty good evidence that that's wrong that people often think more of us. And the same thing is true. And we have evidence of this in some of the research in regret on self-disclosure, that the same thing is true with regret, that when, when we reveal our regrets and talk about them in a healthy way, people don't think less of us. They often think more of us. They admire our courage. They admire um, our, our mental acuity. And so again, you know, we, and leaders can take the role in this. Uh, I do think that organizations in general have, many organizations have a difficulty dealing with mistakes and screw-ups and regrets. Um, there are other enterprises that do a better job of it. The military arguably in some cases does a better job of it. They often do after-action <laughs> reports, have a mission, they do a, you know, certain kinds of, of, of in medicine, there's often a post-mortem. Here's what the body died, what happened? Um, um, even in, in sports, you have people, you have teams players who are watching the game tape, but in, and then learning from those mistakes, literally watching their mistakes and trying to learn from them. And that is powerful. What we, and, and again, we have evidence that, I'll give me, give me, let me be specific here. Let's talk about negotiation here for a moment. There's some interesting research in social psychology showing this. You put people into a negotiation session. Leaders are negotiating all the time. You put people into, into a negotiation session. They do the negotiation. They leave that negotiation session and the researchers say, tell me something you regret doing or not doing in that negotiation. They're essentially saying, I want you to invite this negative experience, this negative emotion, not bat it away, 
but summon it closer to you. When we do that, people do better in the next negotiation. The same thing is true with problem solving. The same thing is true with, um, as I mentioned before, with strategy, many, many other leadership mm -hmm. uh, attributes. So what we have to do is we have to, again, find that middle path, not ignore our regrets, not wallow in our regrets, but look them in the eye, acknowledge them, extract lessons from them, and apply those lessons to the future. I also believe that oftentimes, because businesses really are forma formations of people, and when we make mistakes, because we do, when we tell a customer, I made a mistake, whether no matter what the product is, I recently had even an experience in a restaurant where the waiter spilled uh, stuff on me. And instead of making an excuse, just apologized and was actually empowered by his boss to make it right. He didn't yeah. even need to ask permission. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. I mean, perfect, perfect, perfect example of it. And there also is, I can't remember who did this research, but it's pretty well-known research in... Um, in like in marketing consumer behavior that, you know, that when, when customers have a problem, if that problem is resolved well, it actually enhances the customer's allegiance yeah. to that brand. That is now, now if it, if it happens routinely, that's not the case. But if you have a, if you have a one-off problem with, um, I don't know, like the, the, you know, if I have a one-off problem with the maker of this pencil sharpener, okay. And I say, oh man, this pencil sharpener totally broke on me. And they and and I and I go to customer, you know, I go to the customer care people and they say, oh my God, we're so sorry that happened. We are going to overnight you a brand new pencil sharpener with our apologies. I'm like, whoa, I like this. I mean, that hasn't happened because this is a quality pencil sharpener that has lasted for <laughs> years. But I'm, so it's merely a hypothetical, but you get the idea. And, I, and forgive me, I can't remember, Stacey, who did that research, but it's pretty well known. That, that, that having a problem getting it resolved enhances allegiance to a brand. Absolutely. And, but what you, the example you just gave with the sharpener is a great one also because we have to get the product right. You have to have quality. Sure. Yet, yet and there it is. That sharpener has delivered on its promise. Yet, when there's a problem how you are treated, how you are served, that leaves that everlasting impact and perception. Yeah. So yeah. love that example. And it's true, but it's true. It's, 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 um, you know, it's, it's, it's true for, it's, it's, you know, it's true for ourselves. I mean, what we have to do is it, it, to me, it's like, you know, regret is an emotion and we have a hard time. No one ever teaches us how to process negative emotions properly, at least, at least in my view. And they don't tell us that negative emotions are part of life, that, and especially this negative emotion, which is arguably the most common negative emotion that, that people have. I mean, regret is ubiquitous in the human experience. It's, it's truly one of the most common emotions that human beings uh, experience. And the reason for that is because it's useful if we treat it right. And so what we have to do is, again, not pretend it doesn't exist and not wallow in it, but instead say, whoa, think of it as like a knock at the door, okay? Regret is a knock at the door. What do you do? Do you put your do you dive under the couch and not answer it because you're scared? No, that's a bad idea. Do you completely wig out because there's something at the door and start running around like a crazy person? No. You say, you answer the door and say, hello, regret. What do you have to tell me? And then you use that, you think about it, you use that as a way to go, 
as, as a way to go forward. This is one reason why, to your point about vulnerability, there's some pretty good evidence that, dis, I mean, very good evidence that disclosure is helpful. Disclosure is a form of unburdening. Um, but the other thing mm. that disclosure does is that when we, that emotions in general, but negative emotions in particular, are blobby, they're abstract, they're amorphous. That's what makes positive emotions feel good. It's what makes negative emotions feel bad. And so when we write about our negative emotions, um, even something like writing about your regret for 15 minutes a day for three days, when we write about our negative emotions, we convert that blobby abstraction into concrete words, which are less fearsome. So it's a way to defang that. And then, you know, a really important technique, you know, real, which again, I want to come back to this. We don't just want to leave it there. We need to explicitly extract a lesson from the experience. What did we learn here? What did I learn here? And how am I going to apply that going forward? And again, for leaders, I think there's a, a technique that I'll come to in a moment. But the, 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 the basis of it is that human beings are good problem solvers, but we're terrible at solving our own problems because we're too close to them. We do a much better job of solving other people's problems than our own. So a technique that leaders can use is something called self-distancing. Uh, where you 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 basically you zoom out and essentially treat yourself as if you were somebody else. So here is a very smart tactic. I didn't come up with it. It's from Andy Grove, who used to be the CEO of Intel. And he mm -hmm. would say when he was faced with a tough decision, he would ask himself this question, right? So I don't know what to do. I don't know what lesson I learned from this. I don't know how to move forward. You know, I got to decide, but I'm not sure. He would say, ask himself this, if I were replaced tomorrow, if I were replaced tomorrow, what would my successor do? And then he always knew. Ooh, that's powerful. Yeah. Well, I am curious if we could speak to the head of Southwest right now, what's <laughs> going on in the news. <laughs> you laugh. <laughs> Well, that's because I haven't been on Southwest. If I had, if I had been on Southwest, I'd probably be in tears rather than laugh than than chuckling nervously. <laughs> but think about how those leaders are feeling and regret of updated technology. Yeah, that's a. As we speak here, Southwest is now in what day six of massive ca cancellations. Uh, it is a. It is a colossal problem it is going to be something that they that will the company will suffer from for a very very long time i i don't know the way to make it right um i think that the way to make it right would have to be something incredibly expensive and um and dramatic <laughs> I, I think it begins with fixing the underlying problem which based on recent news reports run far deeper than anybody suspected um, there's some pretty significant systems problems and some HR problems there that had gone unaddressed. So you have yeah. to solve those. But in terms of making it right with their customers, I think you have to do something like really dramatic, like give everybody free round trip tickets wherever they want, anybody affected by it, you know, which will cost you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. That might be the only way to redeem that. I, I think that the lesson here, I mean, we've, we've known this for years. I mean, grandmothers say it to their kids. It's that, you know, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, but a moment to destroy it. And, and that's true for companies. It's true for individuals. You know, Southwest yes. for years, for years, for years, 30 years, had been heralded as 
the great airline, better in customer service. They do their customers right. They're, they're inexpensive, but it's a fun ride. They've transformed the experience. They, they have the, they, they pioneered the whole hub and spoke approach. They turn their planes quickly. They, you know, they say, we're not, we're not unionized. I don't know if they're, I'm not sure that's still the case, but they're, they're, we're not, we're not unionized because we treat our employees so well. And, um, and so, you know, there have been books and books and books written about how awesome it is. And in a week, a lot of that has been destroyed. Yes. And I think that the company needs you to help them look backwards to go forward. <laughs> because yeah, I don't, yeah, I, I, believe me, I mean, you're much better off advising them than I am. But I, I you know, I think <laughs> that the, the solution is, I, I think that the, the, I think the solution is A, fix the underlying problems as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, be, be transparent about what the problem is. Fix the underlying yes. problems as quickly as you can and do something dramatic and unprecedented to make it right. Absolutely. And I think this goes to also show the power of technology and how we need to embrace technology, marry it with the internal workings. And I bet there's going to be a lot of regret on what they didn't do to advance it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, this is, this is, this is, this, this is bad. I mean, it wouldn't, you know, I'm loath to make predictions, but if I were to make a prediction, I wouldn't expect their CEO to be around much longer. Mm. Um, you know, I think that there has to be a, um, there has to be a demonstration on the part of the company, just how profoundly messed up this was. And so, I mean, I think it's possible to, I think it's, I think there is redemption here. I think it requires yeah. some pretty dramatic action and, but, but also just fixing the underlying problem. So it's fixing it, but it's everything we just talked about in terms of really owning it, transparency, vulnerability, yeah. and closing the loop with customers. Here's what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. And then also doing it. I mean, if, you know, if, yeah. you're, um, if, you're, if you're on the second night of sleeping on the floor of the Nashville airport with three little kids, you just want to get to where you want to go as quickly as you can. Yes, yes. This is going to be uh, an interesting case study. Yes, exactly. This will be a, a, a case study for many, many MBA students. No question. Oh, yeah. Well, in rapid fire style here as we're getting to the end, although I don't want it to end. First is if I had a ton of CEOs and leaders in my room right now, what's the one key takeaway you want them to remember? Hmm. Uh, employees listen to you a lot less than you think and watch what you do a lot more than you think. So do my kids. <laughs> Amen. Same thing. I agree with you. What about leadership advice? What's the best that you've been given or that you've told others that people have said, wow, that really was impactful? You know, I mean, I think that there, there are a few things. I mean, one thing that was helpful to me was when somebody said, and I'm, forgive me, Stace, I can't remember who said this, but this is not original to me, but somebody said to me, um, be, it was really about being a boss. Don't be the boss you had. Be the boss you should have had. Mm, should have had. Well, is it that what you didn't learn or the mistakes that people made that, you're saying can inform how to be? Sure. 
Sure. I mean, you have to say, you have to say like, like, let's like, like, like I, I've been working, I've been self-employed for a long time, but, but a, a hundred years ago I had bosses and I, and I had a couple of like really horrible bosses. And I think it's important to reflect on why they were terrible. And, and then if you're in a position as a boss, don't do that. Remember how your experience as an employee with a, with a crappy boss and, you know, reverse engineer and don't do that and learn, you mm-hmm. know, learn from that negative example. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I, I think have. it's the same. I think it's the same thing. It's true. With I think the same thing is true with. I mean, I don't want to analogize too carefully, too closely between being a boss and being a parent. But it's not bad advice for parents too. Be the parent you should have had, not the parent you had. Yes. Oh, that could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> well, speaking of that topic, twenty-year-old Daniel Pink. If you could go back in time and talk to him, what would you tell? The younger you. Well, there's a prop. There's an inherent problem with that, Stacy, because the 20 year old me was too arrogant to listen. So, no matter how wise the counsel is, he likely wouldn't have listened <laughs> because he already knew and had it all figured out. So, uh, so with that stipulation, I would say yes. um, care way less about what other people think. Care less about what other people think, even when we make mistakes and even when we do good things because it's just their opinion. It's not, it's their bias, their experience. So why should that dictate our being? Yep. Yeah, love that. Well, I am so grateful to have you here today and where's the best place for people to connect? Are you mostly on LinkedIn or other channels? Uh, the best place is actually my website, which is danpink.com, D-A-N-P-I-N-K.com, danpink.com. There's all, I got a newsletter, I got free resources, all kinds of stuff. Well, I will add those to the show notes so people can easily find you. And thank you so much. I bet people are going to look at regret and that emotion in a very different way now. I hope so, thanks to this interview. Thank you for having me, Stacey. Yes, and I will put the, sh- the book links as well in the show notes. Great. Thank you again. Thank you so much for joining today. I hope you will apply the lesson shared and also requesting if you would leave a review on Apple it would mean a lot. Head over to doingcxright.com to learn more ways to connect with me and improve your CX. Until next time, I'm Stacy Sherman, Doing CX Right. <laughs>